You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. So 14 years ago on Labor Day weekend, Nicole and I spent our first Sunday here at Faith Church uh, as pastor. Um, as here to, we moved here that weekend. And on that very first Sunday, that Labor Day weekend Sunday, our founding pastor, Bob Helms, uh, presented me with this shepherd's staff. And he presented it to me because it was kind of like this signifying of passing the baton, passing the mantle. And the shepherd's staff is fitting because shepherds are to be pastors of the people, they're to lead them. And in Scripture, we see that good shepherds, they carried a staff so that they could ward off predators. You know, we have this idea in our minds that shepherds were like soft and gentle and, you know, sitting on the green hillside with the lambs all around them. No, they were leading sheep through the wilderness. And so there would be times that they needed the staff to to get the predator away. And we know that when David, who was a shepherd boy, when he comes to fight... People question, are you, are you able to fight? Do you have any experience? He says, listen, as a shepherd, I killed both a bear and a lion that were coming after my sheep. David would write in his 23rd Psalm, which is all about the shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. In other words, because I see that you have your staff, you're able to protect me from the predator's or the enemies. But a rod not only has uh, the end that could be used to fight off predators, uh, to fight off uh, the enemy, it also had a crook at one end. And the reason for the crook is that not only did the shepherd need the staff to fight off predators, but he needed the staff to get sheep that were wandering. And so the crook of the staff could be used to, to pull a sheep out of the water that he had fallen into or pull him through a thicket without the shepherd getting into it, um, reach out and pull the sheep that was trying to wander off the path. And shepherds needed a staff with a crook in it because sheep are known for wandering. Sheep are known for, oh, look at that piece of grass. That looks really good. I'm going to go over and I'm going to munch on that. And they eat that one and they look and say, oh, look at that tuft of grass. That looks really good. And munch on that one. And oh, look at, look, look at this grass over here. And then they, they're full and they look up and they've been eating all day, moving from tuft of grass to blade of grass. And they look up and they say, where am I? I don't know where the shepherd is. I don't know where I'm at. I have wandered off the path. I've wandered away from the flock. And this is really how we live life. We just kind of go from one thing to the next to the next. And then there's some moment when we turn 30 or we turn 40 or we have kids or our kids graduate or there's some major life transition and we lift our head up and we've just been going from thing to thing to thing and we lift our head up and we go, how did I end up here? How did I end up in this career? How did I end up with this life? How did I end up doing these things? This is not what I pictured myself doing. Because no sheep wakes up and says, I'm going to wander off by myself into danger today. No, he just, I'm going to get some grass today. But what happens is we go after thing, after thing, after meal, after meal, after good time or good time, and we we pick our heads up and we don't know where we're at. And so scripture is constantly referring to people as sheep because we're prone to wander. 
And also because sheep are kind of dumb. And we're kind of dumb. We kind of do some things that are foolish, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever done something foolish, right? We all have. And we get ourselves into trouble. And, and shepherds were known for actually sheep that were kind of the problem sheep, you know? So some of you have a kid that is like the, the kid that needs extra grace and needs extra parenting. Um, and you're like, I don't know about that, and that's because all of your kids need extra parenting. But the sheep that really needed some extra help, he would, he would pick them up and carry them. Or in some cases, they would even tie two of their legs together so that they couldn't wander off. And so he could carry them everywhere. And after the sheep had become used to always being at the shepherd's side, then he, side, he could take off the, the rope or set him down and he would stay close. Because we're constantly prone to, to wander off and get ourselves into trouble and find ourselves in a place that we never expected to be, we're a good analogy uh, for sheep. But this chapter, John chapter 10, doesn't really talk so much about sheep as it really focuses on the shepherd. And, and today, you, we could talk all day, we could fill the message with examples of how we make, mistake, make mistakes and wander off like sheep wander off. But what, what John chapter 10 really focuses on is on the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. And it's really helpful to remember what happened in John chapter 9 before we start reading chapter 10. Because in John chapter 9, what takes place is Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth, and the religious leaders, when they find out that Jesus has healed him on the Sabbath by using spittle and mud, they cast him out. They throw him out of the temple. They throw him out of the synagogue. They remove him from his family of faith. And Jesus gives us a contrast between himself and the shepherds that don't help the sheep, but take advantage of the sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable Jesus spoke unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says, a good shepherd, the shepherds that I have sent will come through the door, but the thief or the robber will jump over the fence into the sheepfold. And the people are kind of confused. They're saying, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? What does this mean? And Jesus says, I am the door that the good shepherds will come through, that those who are going to be helpful to you, they will enter the door of me. Occasionally, someone will say to me, hey, you know, why do we need all these different denominations? And why are there these different groups of churches? Shouldn't all the churches just be one? And, you know, there are some churches here in the community that we gladly partner with. And we're glad that they're here. And we're glad that we can work together on things. 
But the main reason that we need to belong to an association of distinctive churches is that we need some sort of process for validating the men who will lead our churches as pastor. We need some sort of process to show like this guy is willing to submit himself to authority. And so when I came here as pastor 14 years ago and Brother Helms handed me that shepherd staff and the body of members here had voted on me to elect me as pastor, before I came to that point, I sat before a board of leaders who had examined not only my theology, but my life. They had seen that I had been faithful to serve in the Lord's church, that I wasn't someone who was just coming because I was interested in being a pastor, but I was someone who was committed and showed in my life there was this pattern of discipleship and following Jesus. And if we don't have that, what we'll have is we'll have people that will just want to jump into the leadership role because they want to be the leader. They want to be in charge. And we have people that... They want to they lead a church, but they don't want to follow Jesus. So why would they do that? Well, why would someone want to take advantage of these sheep? Why would they want to jump over the fence and take these sheep? Because they want to fleece them and take their wool, or they want to kill them and eat their meat. And there are people that want to lead in the church because they want to fleece the people. They want to take advantage of them, harm them, use them for their own gain. A few years ago, we had one of our churches in our association of churches that was without a pastor, and a man tried to step in to become pastor, and our association looked into this man and found that in his past, he had been a predator at a previous church out west. And they said, listen, we, we've examined and we found that he did these things in another church, has not repented, has not made it right, has continued this pattern of sin. We cannot validate him for the leader of this church. You know what we're saying? He hasn't placed himself under the hand of Jesus. He hasn't been willing to place himself under the, the truth of repentance. He hasn't entered in by the door. He's trying to go around the process. And he actually tried to convince that church to just step out of our association so that he could be pastor without that recommendation. He was looking to circumvent the process, looking to jump over the fence. Jesus says, I am the gate by which the shepherds will come in. And it would be foolish for us to raise someone up in leadership of our church if they are not willing to enter through the process of following Jesus and living a life of discipleship. And so Jesus is saying, remember, in John chapter 9, there's this man who's been healed. He was born blind, and Jesus has healed him, and the people throw him out. And they're supposed to be the religious leaders. And Jesus says, look, there are good shepherds, and there are shepherds who are just hirelings. They're just there for the money. They're just there for what they can get. But you will know those who can lead you in the truth by whether they're willing to put themselves under the authority of my word and of my teaching. How unhealthy would it be if I was to stand up before you Sunday to Sunday and preach to you about the truth of God's word and the way that you should live and the way that you should conduct yourself and the way that your marriage and then you find out through the week that I'm not living under any of that. That I'm not keeping any of my commitments. That I'm being unfaithful. Jesus is saying, listen, these people, they're in places of authority, they're in places of leadership, but they're not following my truth. They're not following the word. They're doing what is helpful or beneficial 
to them. The religious authorities in Jesus' day were totally corrupt. In fact, the high priest's seat had been purchased. The person who was in the position of high priest was in that position because he had paid for it. He had purchased that place of authority. So Jesus says it, it is it is appropriate for us to have leaders who are willing to follow the truth, that are willing to place their set themselves under the process. And Jesus says, and that's what I have done. You see, Jesus came and he fulfilled all of the prophecies that had been foretold of him. Jesus doesn't just show up and say, I'm the Messiah. You should believe me. But rather, he proves that by following the process that God had laid out for him to follow, by being born just as the prophecies had foretold that he would be born to a virgin in Bethlehem by fulfilling all of the commands and all of the scriptures. He had been blameless. He'd fulfilled prophecies. He had demonstrated that he himself was a good shepherd. And it's for that reason he's able to say, as he does in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now remember, Jesus makes these I am statements, seven of them throughout the Gospel of John. And here we have the third one that he would make. I am the good shepherd. Now when Jesus makes these statements, it's not just that he is saying, this is who I am. But he's using a phrase from way back when Moses, before he leads the people out of Egypt, God appears to him in a burning bush. And Moses says, who should I tell people has sent me? And Moses, Moses, you, you should tell them the I am has sent you. The I am. I am that I am. I am being. Who is God? He is the God who has always existed. He has always been in existence. He always has been. And so not that I am becoming, or I was, but I am. I have always existed. And so Jesus is using the same statement, I am, to connect himself that he is the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the God of Moses and Abraham, their ancestors, but also because he wants them to have an idea of what that means. And so he gives them these analogies. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the one who will come in and satisfy the needs and longings of your heart. I am the the water. I'm the water that will satisfy your thirst. And here he says, I am the good shepherd. Because when we think about God existing outside of time, that's kind of beyond our minds. And so then Jesus gives us these analogies so we can kind of get a grasp on what is he talking about? And he is the good shepherd. And so Jesus has entered into the process that God has laid out. He has fulfilled all of the prophecies. He's obeyed all of the laws. He has no sin. He is perfect and blameless. And he says, I am that good shepherd. Not only am I the door which will give the the verification of all shepherds who will come after me. I am the good shepherd who will lead the people. And Jesus contrasts himself with the religious authorities of the day. Look at John 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not. And the thief, remember, is the one who jumps over the fence, doesn't come in through the door. The thief cometh not but to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Why were they doing this? Because they were hurting the people, taking advantage of them. Ezekiel 34 tells us all about high priests and priests and, and, and religious leaders who would eat 
the sacrifices that were brought to the temple, and instead of offering them to the Lord, they were taking them for themselves. They were hoarding the offerings that were coming in, taking advantage of the people, heaping guilt on them so they would bring in more so that they would have more. Jesus says they have come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. I've come that they could have life and that they could have life abundant. Now, I want, I want you to just stop right here with me. I want us to stick a moment here in verse 10 because when we hear abundant life, We need to be very clear on what does that mean. Because if we're not careful, we think of the abundant life as a life with an abundance of stuff. Or an abundance of money. Or an abundance of adventure. Or an abundance of comfort. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. I have not come that they would have a life abundant with the things that they want. Rather, I have come so that they might have a life that is abundant with the things that they need. There's a difference. Now, remember, what did did John say the purpose of him writing this gospel was? He tells us at the end in John 20, verses 30 and 31, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John says, I can't write down everything. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And what's he talking about? He's not talking about length of days, but rather he's talking about a depth and breadth of days. He's not talking about adding more days to our life. Rather, he's adding life to our days. He's giving us a life of significance. It's a robustness of life. It's, it's that, that feeling that we're touching on when we say, man, this is living. Or this is what life is all about. It's that, that feeling that we have when we feel connected to something that is bigger than us. It's that feeling you had when you held your child for the first time. It's that feeling you had when you recognized how God had worked in your life in a powerful way. It's that feeling you have when you had some tragedy or some catastrophe and it was difficult and it was adverse, but in that moment you felt more closely connected to God than at any other time in your life. That's life that Jesus is talking about. It's about getting connected to what really matters. And what really matters is not what we have, or what we experience, but rather what God has created us to be. What God put us on this life, in this life, for. Why did God create us? Why did he put us here in this life? For a purpose. Sheep who are living abundance, abundant lives, they lack no water, and they lack no grass to eat, They'd have no lack of what nourishes them. They would have been healthy. They would have been free from, from pestilence or disease or, or, or insects. They, they would have been well taken care of. But why would a shepherd do that for a sheep? A shepherd would do that for the sheep so that they would be healthy, and in being healthy, they would produce a thick coat of wool so that the shepherd could then shear that wool off and use it to sell or to make clothing to keep his family warm. He was raising up those sheep to bless his family or to bless others. 
And God has put us here on the earth and given us a calling so that we can make a difference in the lives of others. What is it that Jesus is teaching his disciples? I am making you disciple makers. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you the truths of life so that you can make a difference in the lives of others. That's what God has built us for. And so when he tells us that we will have an abundant life, it's not about us getting more. It's not about us having more. But rather it's about us accomplishing more or having more significance or more meaning or more purpose in this life. And when we miss this, what happens is we come to church thinking that I just need to get more. I need to get more of God's word. I need to get more of God's spirit so I'll feel better or so that I can get through this week. If I can just learn more about what Pastor Daniel is talking or I can take one of these classes, it'll give me the things that I need. I I like what Kerry Newhoff said. He said, I think the average North American Christian is about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. It means that we've been, we've been coming to church and we've been hearing the scriptures taught and we've been hearing the truths of God's word, but we're not putting any kind of application to it. We're not using it. We're not taking it and doing what it is that God has called us to do. We're not fulfilling our purpose. And we're adding all of these verses and all of these scriptures and all of these teachings to our lives and we feel exactly the same because we're not producing anything or helping anyone or sharing that with anyone. The abundant life, the picture of the abundant life is the picture of a life that is so full that is overflowing. And why is our life to be so full that it is overflowing? So that it flows into the lives of others. And what is happening is that our lives are this bottomless pit where things just keep pouring in and pouring in and pouring in and we're just a pool of water that doesn't go anywhere. And what happens to a pool of water that doesn't go anywhere? It's stagnant. You know what happens to a sheep that that wanders away from the shepherd, if it doesn't die, usually it dies. If it doesn't die, it continues to grow wool. NPR posted a story several years ago about a sheep that was found in Australia that they believe had wandered away from its shepherd five to six years ago. Let me show you a picture of what it looked like. The the sheep had not had his wool shorn off in years. He got to the point where he couldn't see where he was going. His hooves couldn't carry the weight. You know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of a sheep that has all of this abundance, but is not fulfilling its purpose. It's not doing what it was made to do. What was it made to do? Why, why, why does the shepherd take care of the sheep? So that the wool can be shorn off and made into clothing to keep somebody warm, to provide food for the shepherd, when he sells that. Wool is to serve a purpose. And when you and I, when God pours into our lives, he does it because he loves us, but also because there's a purpose for us to fulfill. This abundance, this overflowing, is to make a difference. This is why there are believers in third world countries that have no shoes but they have a more abundant life than you. Why? Because they have more meaning and significance in their poverty than we do in our luxury. Because they are taking the truth of God's word and applying it in their lives and helping others. They're generous with what little bit that they have. They serve. And so there are people that don't have anything near what you and I have. 
but they have an abundant life. Because what they do have is for a purpose. They have meaning and significance. They're fulfilling the role that God has called them to. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and life abundant. And he's saying this to a group of disciples that were going to die for their faith. That were going to go broke. That were going to go through seasons where they didn't have food to eat because they were traveling and wandering and looking for new places where they could share the gospel message. What kind of abundant life is that? That's an abundant life of fulfilling the purpose that God gave them. By the way, they finally took all that wool off of that sheep. He looked a lot different. And that's not blood. That's actually antibiotic that they put in their ears to keep germs and insects getting in their ears. The shepherd was so kind that he even put a coat on him because it probably felt really cold after getting all of that weight off. John wanted people to read his gospel story, the story of Jesus' life, not so that they would have a way to get more stuff, but rather they would have the pathway of where to find more meaning and significance and purpose in their lives. And the Gospel of John has been written so that we might have life. Life. Real, actual life. Real joy. Real purpose. You see, the good shepherd wants to take us somewhere. And that's what Jesus does. Is he takes us into a life that is more meaningful than one this, this culture can comprehend. One that is more meaningful than what is portrayed in advertisements on television. One that has greater joy than the people who are taking the most exotic of vacations this week. It's a life that is not abundant in stuff, but is abundant in meaning and purpose. That is the life that Jesus leads us to. So how does he do this? Well, he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now remember those shepherds that were jumping over the fence, that there weren't real shepherds. They were taking from the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I give my life for the sheep. Verse 12, but he that is the hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep they are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he's the hireling and careth not for the sheep. So Jesus says, I'm the one who lays down my life for the sheep. Those others, they run when they see evil coming, but I have given my life to fight against evil. Jesus is saying, I'm like David who sees the evil and doesn't run away from the evil, but rather gets between the evil and the sheep. I charge at the lion or at the bear with my slingshot or with my staff, and I stand between the predator and the sheep. That's what David did. Jesus says, I am that. And I have laid down my life. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he lays down his life to get between us and sin, to get between us and the judgment that is coming for our sin. Jesus lays down his life to get between the impending judgment and us. And that's what he did on the cross. He laid down his life. You see, Jesus came and he not only lived a perfect life, 
that showed that he was the one who could enter by the door, who was the true shepherd, that was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who had spoken to Moses in the desert, the one who created all. Not only did he live this perfect life to show that he is that God, but he laid his life down on the cross to take the punishment you and I deserve for sin. It was an evil that was lurking in the world, and he stepped between it and us. And friend, can I tell you that there is evil in the world? Do you believe that? There is evil in the world, and Jesus has come to step between us and the evil. You didn't seem convinced that there's evil. Let me show you that there's evil. Did you know that for the past three years in the United States, that the life expectancy has dropped? The life expectancy of Americans has dropped over the last three years. That hasn't happened since 1915 to 1918. It's been a hundred years of progress, a hundred years of people living longer. And for the last three years, our lives have been getting shorter. Why is that? It's because of this graph. It's because of the opioid epidemic. It's because overdoses have spiked. It's like a cliff, how quickly it has shot up. And because overdoses are on the rise, and in the last couple of years, they've been higher than any of the other crises that we have faced, whether it be uh, when when automobile accidents were at their worst or when the HIV epidemic was at its worst. It is worse than all of them. In 2017, more people died from overdose than were killed by a gun. But in 2018, for the first time in years, in 2018, the number of overdoses went down. Now, it's not that it was solved, but for the first time in years, the number of overdose deaths went down. And a big part of that is that Pharmaceutical companies have developed Narcan, which police officers and EMTs and hospitals have on hand, and they're able to bring people back from the brink of death. But you know what's crazy? There's a company called Incise. And this past spring, they admitted that they had been bribing doctors to prescribe the powerful opioid of fentanyl. And they were fined $225 million because they were bribing doctors to prescribe more and more of this most powerful opioid, which was supposed to be for people who were on their deathbeds dying from cancer, but they're prescribing it like crazy. And doctors who prescribed it were given speaking fees just this corrupt system of bribery. And so this company, they, they admit that they've been doing this. And the company says that they're most likely going to go out of business because of their mounting legal costs and the fines that they're facing. And so in this year, they filed for bankruptcy. But just this past summer, they got FDA approved to provide a new medication And guess what it was? Their own brand of Narcan. And this company that has been bribing doctors 
to prescribe more and more opioids, opioids is now going to be saved from the brink of bankruptcy because they're now selling the antidote to the crisis they created. There is evil in the world. And sometimes it is in a high-rise building in our own cities. What did Jesus say? There are shepherds that are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy for their own benefit. But I have come that you might have life and life abundant. You know, when people talk about the opioid epidemic, they talk about medicines and they talk about drugs. But one of the things they don't talk about is that this spike has come right as our economy took a hit and manufacturing is down. And some of the areas that are the worst hit are those places where there are so few jobs. And people are chasing this high because they no longer have the high that many of us are, are seeking after, the high of stuff the high of abundance, the high of more money, nicer car, bigger house. Jesus didn't come to bring us that. He came to bring us something that is greater than any of that, an abundance of meaning and purpose and significance. And he laid down his life so that we might have it. So how do we have it? Jesus says the same thing repeatedly in this chapter. Verses 3 and 4. The sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before him, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. They shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. 26 and 27, you believe not because you are not my sheep as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The good shepherd knows his sheep. And his sheep know his voice, and they follow him. What is the pathway to this abundant life? It's in following Jesus, knowing him and following his voice. You see, stuff won't change your life. Jesus will. Programs don't change lives. Relationships do. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. I know them by name. And they recognize my voice. And they follow me. Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Does he know your name? Do you know his voice? Truth is that Jesus knows all of our names. But do you know his voice? And when he calls you, do you follow? If you'll follow, he will only lead you to good places. He will lead you to life 
life abundant. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.